Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Hockey Journey Podcast, episode number 32, The Taylor Williamson Hockey Journey, presented to you by OnlineHockeyTraining.com. I'm your host, Coach Lance Pitlin. If you're new here, please make sure you subscribe so you won't miss out on any future episodes. Before we tap into this conversation, if you want to learn more about me, my hockey experiences, what I know, and most importantly, how I've been helping hockey players get really good with a stick and puck, just head on over to OnlineHockeyTraining.com and gain instant access to my 10-part video series where I'll show you everything. Consider it my gift to you. Taylor Williamson is my next guest, and she's had a hockey journey. This Edina, Minnesota native was pretty good at hockey. Here's a list of some of her accomplishments. In high school, she played 87 games over the course of four seasons, recording 98 goals, 71 assists for 169 points. Was the Hornets' captain her senior year, where she also won Miss Hockey, which is awarded to the best female high school hockey player in the state of Minnesota, and won a silver medal at the 2014 U18 Women's World Championship in Budapest, Hungary. She ended up playing college hockey for her hometown Minnesota Gophers, winning the national championship her freshman year. But at the conclusion of her sophomore season, Taylor's world got turned upside down and she had to undergo emergency brain surgery. This is a hockey journey filled with successes, obstacles, perseverance, faith, and a lot of grit. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me in welcoming Taylor Williamson to the show. Taylor, welcome to the Hockey Journey Podcast. Thanks for having me, Lance. Excited to have you. Man, uh, we have history. Uh, Just so the listeners know, uh, Taylor's father and I uh, lived together when we played hockey for the University of Minnesota one year. That's all we could stand of each other after all the wrestling matches and foosball tournaments and stuff like that but uh it's been neat seeing you you know develop into the person you are and have all all the successes that you did uh you did have some challenges which we'll get to but before we get on with all of your hockey accomplishments i'd like you to put the car into reverse uh go back in time and tell everyone where you grew up when did you get introduced to hockey and other sports you may have played Give our listeners a peek into what it was like growing up Taylor Williamson. Growing up as Taylor Williamson was quite the journey. Um, It was super fun. I am born and raised in Edina, Minnesota. So yes, I am a cake eater, but I wouldn't take it back for the world. Um, Went through the Edina Youth Hockey Association all the way through my youth hockey career. Uh, Went on to play at Edina High School Um, And as you kind of alluded to, um, went on to play for the Minnesota Gophers um, as a third generation, generation Williamson being there, which was amazing and super fun. But overall, the experiences have been incredible and just blessed that hockey has been a driving force in all of those incredible experiences. Tell the story the first time you remember having skates on your feet. Yeah, um, I remember it honestly like it was yesterday. It's truly a memory I'll never forget. Um, So I was obviously raised in a hockey family and was walking around nine months. And my dad had skates, figure skates actually, on my feet by 12 months. 
Um, but my first real memory of hockey was when I was six years old. Um, and he had come home from work and he said, Taylor, do you want to play hockey this year? And we had been going to gopher games. Um, you know, I, it was just a sport that had been introduced so early on that I knew I loved immediately. And so I was like, yes, I'd love to play. So we went to the local general sports, got all my gear. Um, and I just remember trying it all on and, and literally not wanting to take it off. And then that next morning, waking up and going to Braemar and it's like those first two or three strides on the ice. Like there's just nothing better than it. And I remember that feeling as a six year old girl for her first time with, with my Dyna Jersey on and there was no looking back from there. I knew that I was hooked and just hockey honestly was kind of the first love in my life. So. So were you one of the kids, you know, after you got a few years under your belt, you know, those younger levels, they always have a, you know, a 5 a.m. or a 5.30, 6 a.m. start time. Were you always telling your dad or your mom, we have to be the first ones there. I got to be the first one on the ice. Oh, yeah. I mean, talk about the Wayne Gretzky rule. My dad always said he was the first one on, last one off. Um, I even did the jersey tuck, which I know a lot of kids don't do these days, but just because of Wayne Gretzky. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, you couldn't get me – away from a rink. You couldn't keep a stick out of my hand. Um, whether it was breakfast clubs before school or me just shooting or stick handling at home before school. Um, I just, I fell in love with it and you couldn't really keep me away from it. You know, it's crazy. So you're telling me that Wayne Gretzky was one of your idols growing up. Well, he was kind of like the idol, you know, just hearing my dad talk about him and obviously you any true hockey player will read about him and you know that that's the bar to try to achieve and maintain and you know you hear you hear like stories about how he used to just take a tennis ball to the side of his house and like there was like even like a picture like showing like all like the marks on the side because he would just knock the ball off the wall to a stick like all day long and I remember when my dad like showed me and told me about that story I was like oh my gosh like I want to be that kid you know so like next thing you know like it's just like I constantly wanted to put the work in because if that's what Wayne Gretzky did and you see how good he he was that's I was willing to put in the work to be as good as him oh we know and we'll find out as we go on why I bring that up is because I'm I'm you know 25, 30 years older than you. And as a kid, I had a life-size poster of Wayne Gretzky on my wall in my bedroom. So the, the guy has influenced a lot of people over the years and still does. That's very true. So do you, can you remember the time when you you had the ignition where, okay, I'm, I'm getting pretty good at this and I, I might want to play after high school? Yeah, my first ignition was, you know, in Minnesota, we do the high performance in the summer, like in the off season. So what's that? The reason, what's that? So high performance, they called HP uh, for girls. They have it for boys as well. But for girls, it's a really big deal because that's the path where, you know, you start with your district, best players move on to the top 54 
from the top 54 group in the state, you get selected to go to national camp. And from national camp, you're evaluated from every girl women's hockey player in the country for your age group. And then an even smaller portion of that group is selected to then participate in the USA under 18 team. So for me, it was a super exciting time because that was my gateway into international hockey. Um, And I had made it through all of Minnesota HP rounds into national camp. Um, And I remember U15s, you know, it's more of your first look. I got selected into the all-star game, which was a huge step. Um, But it was in that year where I realized that I'm a big fish in a little pond when you think of Minnesota, but I was just an average fish in a large pond when you looked at players across the the country. And for me, that wasn't enough. I wanted to be the biggest fish in the biggest pond. So that was kind of the moment where I really took my game serious, um, stopped playing my other sports solely because I was determined and devoted in knowing that I wanted to play not just college hockey, but international hockey as well. Okay, so that's the ignition for sure. Uh, That's what everyone's hoping for. Question, did you ever play boys growing up for a year or two? Yes, I did. So as I kind of alluded, so I was a six-year-old playing with U10s, free Dinah girls, because my dad and a guy by the name of Scott McGarvey had started the girls program there. So there was a huge age gap, but also my skill level um, was matched, if not greater than a lot of them. And so I think my dad probably had a closed door conversation with my mom saying, I think Taylor, you know, could play with the boys. Um, And both my parents were so supportive for me always. And, you know, were willing to do whatever I wanted and support me in that. So I ended up playing boys hockey for about five years. So it was like through mites, mite two and mite three and through squirts I played and I absolutely loved it. Um, And the fun part was, you know, those guys were my friends and yeah, I had a ponytail, but other than that, they didn't see me for anything different than their teammate. And so I learned a lot playing boys and and truthfully it matched my competitiveness a lot more than I think girls would have at that, that time. Um, but it was super fun to play with them until my U 12 years when I switched back over to the girls. So when you did switch back over, was the game a little different for you? Was it a little slower? Was it, you know, did you have more confidence when you went back to the girls? Yeah. I mean, I had a boatload of confidence. It's a little bit slower of a game, um, and a lot less competitive in practice would be the best way to put it at that, at that age level. Um, I loved, like I had to prove myself every single day playing boys hockey. Right. Right. Like if you're going to check, check me, that's fine. Like I'll check you right back. Um, with girls that that wasn't an issue and, and they knew with me coming over where I was at skill wise. So it was almost just like, it was different because I was entering, not as fighting to be an equal, but I was entering as an automatic leader. And so I grew a lot as an individual and as a leader for the team once I had switched over to the girls, which obviously helped a lot down the road. 
But you talk about the the differences in practices. Now you switch over to the girls and you don't have that competitiveness. Was that hard? Yeah, it, it made it difficult, but it also made me realize like, all right, just practicing, just putting my gear on isn't going to cut it. It's not going to get me to where I want to be today. So seeing that and acknowledging it, it was like, you have two choices. You can just keep going as is and plateau, if not decrease your game, or you can now manage your time better, put in the extra work at home so that when you are practicing with the team, you, you know, you're doing what you can to be a good teammate. And then when you're at home by yourself, you're doing what you have to do to become a better player. Well, I've been a firm believer and I, I spit it out all the time that if you have lofty goals in this game of hockey, uh, the reason that you're going to get there is not from the time that you spend playing games and practices. It's the stuff that you do off the, off the ice or away from your team games and practices. So let's be specific. What were some of the things that you were doing in addition to uh, your on ice team functions? Well, I was actually doing your online stick handling program. You better have. (laughs) (laughs) That was huge. Um, So stick handling every single day. And then I was shooting um, every single day. And my dad is super type A like I am. And he gave me a calendar, like a blank calendar. And it, it all started when I was about nine or 10 years old. My grandpa, uh, Murray Williamson, who was the Olympic coach in 1968 and 1972, uh-huh. he had traveled all, all over the world for hockey. And so he had this little pin and it was from the co- the Russian coach at the time. And my grandpa came to me and said, Taylor, if you can shoot 10,000 pucks this summer, I'll give you this pin. And I was like, okay, I can do that. So I started shooting pucks and I would write down the amount of pucks I'd shoot every day in this calendar my dad gave me. Well, over time, I realized how much it was benefiting me just by shooting every day at home. And so it went from shooting to get a pin to shooting because I saw how much I was improving every day. And so from that point on, I was hooked. And I I still have like every year's calendar from all the pucks and all the time I spent stick handling, whether it was for 35 minutes or for an hour. Um, But that to me was the difference maker. And I was doing it before school and I would do it like my mom and I called it like the 10 minute rule or the 20 minute rule um, after school. She would tell me when dinner was going to be ready. um, And within 20 minutes, so I'd go and like shoot 100 to 200 pucks. And by the time I was done, dinner was on the table. So it was super fun and you know, it's crazy because I just, I tell kids these days, I'm like, if you just took an hour away from being on TikTok and you devoted that to your game, you have no idea how much of a better hockey player you would be. In the business world, they call that return on investment, Taylor. I know you know that (laughs) phrase. Uh, (laughs) It is. And, um, you know, for the younger generations, uh, they've never played video games before or whenever a new game comes out. Uh, they don't even have an instruction manual that comes with it. They just put it in and start playing, and pretty soon you get good. But everyone's disappointed after 
games they've lost or tournament championships that they lost, whatever. Uh, but they haven't made the correlation that, oh, maybe if I did something away from the rink like you just talked about, that that's going to increase our chances for success and you know make my experience playing the game much better because when you realize what when you did that return on investment, then it's on. I mean, that's just part of your fabric now, wasn't it? That's what happened. Yeah, yeah it, get, it gets you hooked. And it's funny you say that. It's like, you know, kids with, like, they don't get a manual of how to play, like, any of these games. You also don't get a manual, really, to play hockey. Like, that's what you do at that time at home is figure it out yourself. Like, learn to love it yourself. Um, st- be a student of the game um, because – when you look at all the top players, whether you're looking at the NHL for women, if you're looking at the Olympic team, that's what those players were doing or are doing still to this day to separate themselves from the pack. Right. You know, yeah, I'm just going to touch on something that you said there. You know, you, you said the, you got to do extra, you got to, but at home, you said you got to figure it out. And that's where I think, there's a disconnect because how is an eight eight year old or nine year old or a 10 year old supposed to figure it out on how to get better at shooting or stick handling passing. And that's where I think the, the, the luck of the draw that you were born into a hockey family with your, your grandpa and your dad and uh, your, your, your dad's brothers uh, that they can, guide you and get you in front of the right people that specialize and are are masters in those sectors because you were working with technical skating instructors. You were working with on-ice skills instructors. Uh, You sought out how to be more efficient and effective in an off-ice environment using my program. So uh, touch on that, you know, some of the people that you reached out to uh, that, that helped you kind of climb the ladder. Yeah, so on ice, I was always working with Barry and Bo Karn um, as my technical skating coach, and they are just remarkable at what they do. Um, you were my driver at home with with stick handling and, and following a program and, you know, learning how to be disciplined in that. That was huge for me. And um, I also used Scott Bukestad uh, throughout my time uh, as a shooting coach. Um, and between, you know, those things and then having space like a three on three rink, right. Being a part of a three on three league, um, and then using OS hockey with Winnie Brout and being given these opportunities to then utilize all those spaces with skating, stick handling and shooting, taking those technical skills and then figuring out how to implement them. Literally, I should say by failing, over and over and over again until we fi- I finally figured out how to implement it on the ice and in a game. That to me was was the ticket. And when I look back at my younger self, I think the biggest reason was I just wasn't afraid to fail. Like there was no fear of failure um, in those environments and in those spaces. And I do think going from guy boys hockey to girls hockey played a huge role because I just naturally was more confident in the girls rink to try those things. And if I failed, that was okay. I was going to keep going until I got it. So that really separated myself from other players around me 
during my time. And it's fun because you can kind of see more and more players doing that today, but you definitely don't see a lot of them. So that's the fun part about being a coach now is trying to encourage and, and kind of walk alongside kids to help them figure out how to do that themselves. Yes. And, uh, it's, it's so rewarding. Uh, do you know that the word failure doesn't exist in reality? Hmm. It's only feedback. We never fail. We just get feedback and then we try again. <laughs> like, yeah, I love that. I mean, that's, that's how kids should see it today. Their failures. What a tragic thing. If fear of something like you're saying doesn't exist is the thing holding you back. Yeah. Like yeah. I would, I would hate that for somebody and it's, it's no way to live. Yeah. Who's the dog in the back? It's a, it's a neighbor dog. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Hi to the neighbor dog. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, we're going to kind of shift gears here. You're now playing varsity hockey and you did so you're, were you a ninth grader your first year when you played? Yes. Uh, yep. And you basically jumped in with both both feet and were close to being a two-point-per-game player, which you ended up achieving your junior and season, uh, senior seasons. Those had to be some fun years for you. It was awesome. I loved my high school career. Uh, you always dream of wearing those green breezers when you're born and raised in Edina. And so to have that opportunity for my four years in high school – and like you're, like you're saying, like jumping in with both feet and, and being a leader on that team, it was uncomfortable being the youngest player yet knowing the responsibility and, and weight I had, but I loved it. And I learned a lot from my coach at the time, Laura Slominski, who also was a gopher um, at the U for the women's hockey team. So fun to have, uh, have her as my coach and just such fun experiences from whether it was going to state, which I did my freshman and senior year, um, but just everything from the away trips to playing against Eden Prairie and Minnetonka, who were rivals, like every moment for, for high school hockey, um, especially in Minnesota, like it's it's truly a special one to be able to play with those kids that you've known your whole life. Yeah, and I've, I've been to some of these epic games and, you know, because I'm so closely tied with, so many girl players over the years. Uh, it, it's fun to see when they're they're on the big stage, and you know, there's <laughs> I could watch one game and I got a lesson the next day with someone that's on top of the world and the other one that's not. Uh, but like you said, you get back on the horse, dust yourself off, and you get back to focusing on your process. Uh, you uh, are a senior, and you receive a pretty prestigious award. Uh, Miss Hockey, and for those who don't know, that's given out each uh, winter season to the best female high school hockey player in the state of Minnesota. Um, you know, that's a pretty pretty solid feather in the cap, and you are among some elite company uh, winning that award, Taylor. Yeah, it was a huge honor to end my high school career with the honor of receiving that award solely because of what you're saying with the other legendary names that I have my name alongside, whether it be Winnie Brout, who was the first ever recipient of that award. And she, I mean, she's just 
an absolute cornerstone when it comes to women's hockey in Minnesota. Um, and then you, you go down the list of names and you've got Hannah Brandt, Danny Camernese, you've got Sydney Baldwin, Grace Sumwinkle, Taylor Heisey, Peyton Hemp. You know, the list goes on of all these incredible players that have also won it. So super cool to have my name on that list as well, but it truly is a testament to my community. You know, I wouldn't have gotten there without all my teammates, all my coaches, you know, that I've, I've mentioned along the way. And so fun to be able to receive something as honorable as that going into then my college career. It's a special class of people. That's for sure. All right, Taylor, we're going to, uh, again, turn the page in 2014, your senior year, I believe it was, you had a little trip to Budapest, Hungary competing in what you talked about earlier these USA hockey uh, opportunities. And this one was in Budapest, Hungary, and it was with the U18 uh, Women's World Championship. What do you remember about that uh, tournament? It was so much fun to be there. And that was my ultimate goal, you know, or it was leading towards it, which was to be a player on the Olympic team and, and represent my country. So to be a part of the under-18 national team was a huge honor and, you know, was a little taste of, okay, what I'm doing is working. So it was super fun, and I made I made great friendships with a lot of those the players on that team because we had people from all over the country, whether it was Michigan, Arizona, Boston, the Bronx, New York, Florida uh, – not Florida, but California, like – so many players that, you know, we didn't know, we ended up becoming some of the, of my best friends today. And so it was awesome to have that experience of international hockey um, and get to know players from Team China and Team Hungary. And so that was really cool. Uh, unfortunately, we ended up taking silver that year against Canada, but the overall experience is really what I'll remember the most. And again, talk about another catalyst of me being motivated to keep working. It was just a little taste of what it could be like to be a part of USA hockey. And so I just remember after that tournament, knowing I was like, I I will be in a red, white, and blue jersey again someday. I don't know if it's for the U22 national team or, or what it would be, but that was my next goal. Um, because of the awesome experience I had with all of my teammates and coaches. All you, all you players are the same. You, uh, you high achievers, you know, you, you set your objective, uh, you work toward it, you experience it. And I don't even think the plane rides over and you're already working on the next thing. Is that how you operate? Exactly. I mean, with someone that has an achiever mindset, like you just mentioned, you're, you're never going to be satisfied. You're always going to stay hungry. And so that's how I feel like I've been since I was a little kid and definitely haven't lost it. I feel like having a family like I do and a father like I do, as you well know, Lance, um, it's, it's an easy thing to pick up on and, and see. And I've loved it because it's, given me these incredible opportunities and experiences that are super fun to share and obviously things that not everybody gets to live out themselves. No, 
it's it's the one percent that get to i mean think about that experience that you had there in budapest and all of the players that tried out for that over the years you know with the hp and then you you go to the regional camp and then the national camp uh you know that's a special moment so congratulations on that uh you ended up going to the university of minnesota were there some other colleges that were courting you at the time? And can you give our listeners the reason why that you chose the Gophers? Was it because, you know, the history of your family or were you torn between some other schools? My college recruiting process was very unique, I will say, given the game of hockey, especially on the girls' side, has evolved a lot over the years. But because of this work that I've I've put in that we, we've been talking about, you know, it, it put me in a position where I was super fortunate and literally had the opportunity to go and play hockey at any college that I wanted. And I remember from my freshman year when they were allowed to send emails on June 1st, I woke up to, you know, 20 some emails in my inbox. And nice problem, nice problem to have. A very nice problem to have, and it definitely made me grow up and think a little bit more about the future and what I wanted. Um, It also taught me how to communicate well with adults, and I was lucky that my my dad was really there to help guide me along the way. And at the time, Winnie Broke Brown was a huge huge advocate for me in that in that regard as well. So just having the right people in my corner made what could have been a stressful situation just super fun and super enjoyable. And I really felt honored to go and and talk with all those colleges. But, you know, I I really had a top five at the time. It was always Minnesota, Wisconsin, North Dakota, Harvard, and Boston College. Those schools, for whatever reason, were ones that, that I really could see myself playing at someday. And so I had the opportunity to go and visit there and talk with the coaches Um, amongst other schools but just as I got older and went through my freshman year and then the fall of my sophomore year that list of five had had dwindled down to two being Minnesota and Wisconsin and I truly had no idea like I was so 50 50 really and I I yeah and I remember going to Madison on a on a visit and you know they totally rolled out the red carpet for me and I loved it I remember going home and almost being in tears, being like, I have no idea what I want to do. Like, I was hoping I would know by this point. And my dad said, well, it's a good thing Wisconsin's coming to Ritter Arena next weekend to play the Gophers. We'll go and just sit there and and watch and see if there's a team that you feel like you're rooting for. And so it was a Saturday-Sunday series. So that Sunday I went and watched, and the Gophers ended up winning, I think, 4-0. And, you know, I just I felt myself – rooting for my hometown team. And so that next morning, Monday morning, I woke up and as I was walking out the door, my mom said, have a good day at school. And I said to her, thanks. And by the way, I'm going to be committing today. <laughs> and she, she ran out to the car and goes, wait, where? <laughs> Cause they, they had no idea, but I told her I was going to be a gopher, um, told my dad and called Brad Frost and you know, the rest was history from there, but I just, I fell in love with the culture and what a cool opportunity to play for the team that, 
I had been going and watching since I was a little kid. Because your dad brought you to the game and you finally, finally figured it out, did you start calling him Mr. Miyagi after that? No, I'm never going to give him the full credit. Come on. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's so good. All right. Your freshman year, you win a national championship. Uh, was that e an easy transition from high school to college? I mean, you just came off some international plays, so you, you got up a rung in the ladder with uh, speed and difference. But did it take you a, a few swings uh, during the first couple weekends to get into to the rhythm? It definitely took, I would say, three months to really get into the rhythm. I was really lucky because at the U, they allowed freshmen to come and train with them in the summer. And so that summertime was huge for me in getting stronger in the weight room, adjusting to the pace of play on the ice. So that, I think, made a big difference. But then, you know, after I think my third series – in season of my freshman year is when I really felt like I had my feet under me and was playing with confidence again. I'm, you know, when you, as a parent, as you're going through youth hockey, uh, we're trying to throw learning nuggets out to our kids. And if you're into sports and it should be, if you're not into sports anyways, but uh, especially if you're into sports, we start trying to educate our kids on nutrition. So, uh, and I saw a real shift in, in my oldest because the youngest always learns from the oldest. So he's always accelerated. But when Rem, my oldest, uh, got to college, that's, that's when nutrition was really important. Uh, now they help you with that, but did that, did you kind of figure that out before you got to college or did that happen in college? I think for me, it happened in college because when you are playing with some of the best players in the country, you have to do whatever it takes to have a leg up on everybody. At least that's how I saw it. Like whatever I could do, whether it was eating, sleeping, how I was living my life, if that was somehow going to replicate improvement on the ice, I was willing to do it. Um, but nutrition is, in my opinion, something that constantly is changing and evolving. Um, and it is all dependent on the individual and you being aware of your body and how you're feeling and how you react to certain foods. So like, I, I would like to say that college was when it really sparked for me. And to this day, like I still change and try to evaluate like what I need in those moments. But Definitely, like if you're if you're a top athlete, like and you're not focusing on nutrition, now's the time to start because it really will give you a leg up. And I felt like for me, when I really figured out the perfect formula, or at least started to, I could see it in my game on the ice for sure. Uh, Rem, my oldest, he's a a mega learner, and he's told me to read the Tom Brady book because I guess that's like his cornerstone is nutrition and health and wellness. Uh, the sports part, that's just a byproduct of it. But uh, just for all the, the younger players out there, uh, that's kind of the trend that happened. It wasn't until, you know, later high school or, or college that that became important. So if you can start honing in on that and educating yourself, on how how nutrition plays a big role in, in performance and recovery. Uh, spend some time on that. 
All right, Taylor. Yeah, uh, I'm always curious to hear about the road to a championship. Your first year there, and <laughs> sometimes I feel bad for freshmen, you know, because you went in your freshman year and you think that, oh, man, this is going to be easy. We're going to do it every year. But uh, was the team lights out right out of the gate, or was it a slow build where you, 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 pe- you peaked as a team at the right time? Uh, what do you remember about that run to the championship? If you looked at our record and solely were focused on the record, you would say it was definitely a slow build. Um, compared to Gopher teams in the past, we had lost a couple more games than we should have. So in a lot of people's eyes, they were they were already throwing us, you know, in the back saying they don't have what it takes. But the funny thing is, is a team doesn't focus or care about what fans or what, you know, what the rankings are saying about them. They just focus on themselves. And so we always knew that we had what it would take to win a national championship. Every person that we had in that locker room was going to contribute to to bring a natty home. So it was a slow build, but at the same time, we still played with that confidence and that swag and in our program that we knew that once it came to playoff time, again, let's find another gear. Game by game, it was just taking our game to the next level. And we had incredible leaders on that team, whether it was Amanda Kessel, Hannah Brandt, Lee Steckline, Amanda Levier. Like, we had such a solid group of leaders um, that as a freshman, I am so grateful I had the experience to play with them because they knew what it took. And it is not easy (laughs) to win a national championship. Um, But – we knew that we could do it and it was, it was super fun to go in as the, out of the four teams that made it to the frozen four, we were ranked third. So to be a third seed and come out with a national championship was super exciting. Congratulations on that. And I never was able to have that feeling. Uh, got to the championship game once and lost that. Thanks for bringing up that memory, Taylor. A quick word from our sponsor, Sniper's Edge Hockey. Sniper's Edge Hockey is your one-stop shop for your at-home hockey training needs on and off the ice. Find the perfect start to your at-home training area with slick tiles, synthetic ice, or a rink liner. Or upgrade your home setup with one of our top quality training tools to help you work on soft hands, all of your deeks and dangles, perfect your one-timer, and improve the power and accuracy of your shot. Find it all online and in stock for immediate shipping at snipersedgehockey.com. All right, up until this point, ladies and gentlemen, uh, she's she's had a uh, dream hockey career. Uh, she's a successful youth player, lights it up as a high school player, wins Miss Hockey, wins a national championship uh, her freshman year, and now you go into your second season with the Gophers, and out of nowhere, your world is turned upside down at the end of that season where you needed to have emergency brain surgery to save your life. What's that story, Taylor? As I'm sure it's filled with every, emo- every emotion a parent can draw on, a person can draw on, not only the parents. I mean, it, it had to have been un- unreal. Tell us about that experience and story. Yeah, so... That my sophomore year was definitely a year full of really high highs and really low lows because going into the season, 
Um, as I kind of alluded to before, you know, I had, I had mentioned I, a goal of mine was to wear that red, white, and blue jersey again. And, and I did have that opportunity in August right before I went back to school when I played on the U-22 national team. And so I was going in super confident, super excited and, and, and happy about where I was at with my game. And then it just – it was a year that all of a sudden just kind of plummeted really fast because – I was noticing that at night I was having difficulty speaking for about five to 10 minutes. Um, I tell people it was like if you put a spoonful of peanut butter in your mouth and tried to talk, my ability to articulate, and it was just overall difficult to to speak sentences. So obviously it was super weird, but my mindset behind it was I was like, there's nothing that could be really that wrong with me. Like I'm a college athlete. Like I I would assume that it's just stress or maybe like a food allergy. I wasn't really sure, but what, after this, can, can you just tell us what what time of the year was this? Was this at the end of the season, middle of the season when you started uh, feeling seeing these symptoms? It was right around playoff time, so towards the end of the season, and playoffs are about four weeks long. So, you know, after. After the season had ended, we lost in the semifinal game in the Frozen Four. I went on vacation with my teammates, and I said, okay, like, I'm on vacation. Like, this shouldn't happen while I'm here. So if it does, when I get home, I'll tell my parents about it. So sure enough, it happened while I was on vacation, and none of my teammates knew because if I knew it was happening, I would just go in my room and lay down for a little bit, and sure enough, it would go away. Um, but I called my mom and she said, okay, call me when it happens again. So I called her the next night so she could kind of hear it and understand it. And so we made an appointment with, um, a teammate of mine from Edina, her mom, who was an internist. And so I went to see her on, um, that, that next Monday. So I went in and she did every test in the book and then finally said, have you ever had an MRI done of your brain? And I said, no, actually, I haven't. Like, despite all my concussions and whatnot, I haven't had one before. So we got in, we got imaging done, and then I was just sitting in the doctor's office waiting. Finally, she came back in and pulls up a, the MRI and says, Taylor, here's an image of your brain. As you can see, there is something called an arachnoid cyst that's about the size of your fist sitting on the right side of your brain, and we need you to go to the Methodist Hospital in Hopkins, Minnesota to go talk to a neurosurgeon immediately. Wow. So my world gets flipped upside down in an instant. Um, We get in the car to drive there. Um, We call my dad and tell him he's got to leave work and come meet us at the hospital. And truthfully, what I remember from that is being – so scared that like, I just had no emotion at all. Like I was just kind of living through the, the moment and living through time. So I remember meeting the neurosurgeon, um, them giving information on the, on what exactly they would be doing within the, the surgery. And next thing I knew less than 18 hours later, I was in the operating room having brain surgery. So it was a super surreal moment. Um, but looking back, just incredibly blessed by the doctors that I had, the nurses that I had. Um, it really was like the stars aligned in, in terms of being cared for, 
with what could have been such a tragic and life ending, uh, life ending circumstance. Didn't, didn't a player in Edmonton, Kobe cave, I think, didn't he have the same thing and he passed away? Yeah, he, Kobe literally had the same thing I did. Um, and so hearing that news about him was, was tough. That was this before your surgery or after that you knew this? He was a couple years after me. He was okay. I mean, talk about just another wake up call of how fortunate I am to be here today and how short life can be and why you literally have to live every day to the fullest. Isn't that the truth? Uh, so you end up uh, having the surgery. What what was the road to recovery? And because I'm sure you were hoping to be able to play again uh, ap- after you made it through it. Uh, did you have aspirations to play again after it happened? What were they telling you? Yeah, I was determined to get back and play. Um, I, I had two years left of college hockey and – in my eyes, there was nothing that was going to stop me from getting back on the ice with my teammates. So it took about three to four months to recover. I mean, it was brain surgery after all. So, I mean, I went about a month, A, without getting to wash my hair, which is a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> but B, uh, not even being able to lift more than 10 pounds. So talk about a humbling experience where as I started to recover, it was little victories like walking up and down the driveway just once a day. Um, and then after about that three month mark, I went and saw my doctor again and he couldn't believe how well I was recovering and how well my, my brain was looking. And so they gave me the green light to train. Um, Hold on, before you get to that, you weren't just walking around your house. I mean, at some point you were doing physical therapy and stuff, weren't you? Tell us about that. Yeah, I was able to work with our trainer at the U um, in in that regard. So super lucky, again, to just be able to be provided a program that would help me get back. And it was hard. Like you are literally having to retrain your body, retrain your brain how to communicate to your muscles. So it's a a gruesome path of physical therapy, but – all, all the elite athletes would tell you they, they enjoy the grind. Like they enjoy like that little piece of pain almost you could describe it. And so I loved pushing myself. Um, I loved seeing the improvement I would have every day. And again, it was like every day got me closer to getting back on the ice with my teammates. So I, I enjoyed my recovery. Um, it's like you wake up every day and, and that's what I was aiming to do and achieve. So I loved my time with that. And, and then getting back on the ice, you know, it was the cherry on top of it all. Cause once you're on the ice, it's like every problem in the world goes away for that hour or two that you're out there. So it took about three to four months. Um, but by that time it's July of 2017. So I'm heading into my junior year of hockey. Um, and the one thing the doctor didn't do is really give me limits. And so <laughs> I, I pushed myself really hard um, and probably a little bit too soon because, as I mentioned before, the symptom of slurred speech 
all of a sudden started to kind of creep back into my day-to-day life um, come July and August. So That's we went back. Crap out of you? It, it was terrifying. I, I had no idea what it meant, I, whether it was the fact that the surgery w- didn't work or, or, you know, what I had no idea what it meant. So we went straight back to my neurosurgeon, um, had him take imaging again. And he said, Taylor, your brain is pristine. It literally has recovered remarkably. It's, it's whatever's happening isn't from your brain surgery. It's something else. So I said, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? (laughs) And he goes, just keep, just keep going. Like, just keep doing what you're doing and see if it keep continues to happen. Well, that's probably the worst thing you could have told me because if you're not going to give me limits, I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep pushing. So here I am come August and September, I'm back on campus and I'm surrounded by the top players in the country and my 110% couldn't even match their 50% because by this time, not only was I having difficulty talking, but I was experiencing this extreme weakness in my arms and legs. So much so that I couldn't even wash my hair or put my hair up in a ponytail, much less grip my stick to be able to shoot or lift a puck off the ice. Like it, if you saw it, Lance, like you wouldn't believe that I belonged out on that ice and that I was a division one player, but my coaches and my teammates gave me so much grace through that time, you know, probably cause I like, well, she had brain surgery. Like, just going to take time. And I was never going to take no for an answer. So they knew themselves that they couldn't take me off because it was going to infuriate me. Um, my, our, the assistant coach, Joel Johnson, who was just the Olympic coach, he said to me, you know, after all this went on, he goes, I knew the worst thing we could do was remove ourselves. It had to come from yourself. And so that kind of all came to fruition in our first game of the of my junior season. We were playing Merrimack College. And I woke up that day and I was like, this is not good. I had double vision so I could barely see. Um, I had I wasn't able to chew or swallow any food. Like I had lost 15 pounds th- through that three months and couldn't speak. My arms and my legs were super weak. Like I could, I couldn't even go out for our pregame skate. And yet, I didn't say no. I was like, "We'll see what happens. Like, we'll wait till we get closer to game time." Oh man! And then in the first period of the game, I literally played blind, like practically blind. Um, Still four checking out there, just listening. <laughs> yeah, just. I was just use. I mean, that's the insane part is like, I literally just used my IQ for that first 20 minutes of hockey, never shot a puck. I would only pass. Right. I, there were some things I could do, some things I couldn't. And finally, after the period ended, um, I went into our lounge and my captain followed me, who was one of my best friends at the time. And she said, T you want to be done? And I couldn't even reply. I just shook my head. Yes. So next thing they knew, they were taking me into the emergency room um, on campus there. And I spent the night there with about 15 doctors around me. And I can tell you right now that that was the scariest moment of my life. It completely trumped brain surgery. Wow. Um, because 
I wholeheartedly didn't know if I was going to make it out that night. Um, like I, I asked the doctors to make my parents leave the room and it was, it was a really scary moment. And all I could do in that moment was pray. And so literally that is all I did. And I said, God, if, if you really are who you say you are, please just give the doctors an answer to what is killing me. Cause that was the scariest part was the unknown. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so how did, how did they figure it out? So about a week later, um, I got a call from, from the doctor and, you know, at about 4am in the ER, I had a guy come in and say he had a wild guess as to what I might have. And sure enough, the doctor called me a week later and said, Taylor, I wanted to let you know that your results came back for myasthenia gravis. And that is exactly what you have. It is the issue to all of the symptoms you've been experiencing. And that was by far one of the best moments of my life. And you might think it's weird that I say that, but having an answer to what was killing me literally was the biggest blessing in the world. Um, you know, cause all we've been talking about for the past hour here is, is hockey. But for the first time in my life, it wasn't about that. It was just about living. Um, and I was so grateful that they had figured out what was causing all these issues. And um, it sparked and kind of transformed my heart in a way that it, I, it had never been before. Um, it gave me a different outlook, a different perspective. And faith became a huge aspect of my life. Um, and yet at the same time, like it was just living, living life with the perspective of extreme humility and understanding how blessed I am to still be here today. So myasthenia gravis is again, the term it's a neuromuscular disease that has no cure, um, but it is treated by medication and by infusions. So I go to the hospital every other week for it. Um, but now that we had an answer, it was, again, another road to recovery. Um, so that was October 4th of 2018. And I was just so happy to be taking this medicine, have an answer. Um, I was going to the rink every day still to be with my teammates, but I no longer was training to play my sport. I, I was recovering to be able to live life again the way that, that I want, would want to. And so, God willing, um, around Christmas time, I actually was recovering super well. And December is when a lot of college teams go home and they get like a month off of hockey. But I remember coming back to my house in Edina and saying, Dad, I, I want to try to play hockey again. And he said, okay, like, if that's what you want, like, of course, I'll help you try to do it. Come to find out later that him and all the doctors and my coaches were like, there's no chance. There's never been a, a person that's had myasthenia gravis that has been an athlete and competed at a level as much as Taylor. But that's when I was reintroduced to Mr. Neil Sheehy, as you well know, Lance. Yep. And... I worked with him and after our first session, I couldn't even get my arms above my head. And 
by the end of working with Neil, I was doing about five burpees. Wow. <laughs> so Neil was a catalyst in me being able to play hockey again. And it, it was so much fun because you talk about the 1% rule. I was getting 1% better every single day. And it started with literally being able to eat a meal. Yeah. And being able to talk for 30 seconds. Something that people don't even have to worry about or even think about in a day. That was a big, the biggest victory that I could think of. And then the fact that I was now on skates again, doing the thing that God created me to do and blessed me with, you know, my entire life. It was just fun. Like it was a reminder of, the six-year-old that fell in love with the game. And my dad would go down to Walnut Ridge Park with me every day and we would just skate. And I was retraining my brain how to skate, how to pass, how to stick handle, how to shoot a puck. And sure enough, after break, I went and talked to Frosty, Brad Frost, who was the head coach at the time. And I told him I I was going to fight to get back in the lineup. And he straight up told me, Taylor, you're going to have to be twice as good as your teammates if you want to make it back into the lineup. He goes, I just want to be completely honest with you now. We'd love to have you out there, but just know you're going to have to work twice as hard and show that you deserve a spot to play. And so I was willing to put in that work. Um, and and I would go out for practice. I would stay out after. I would go before, before I had class. Like, again, it was – like my younger self, and I was willing to do whatever it took to play. You, uh, can I just get clarification? Was was that second episode, was that a direct correlation because you had the the first thing going on, or was this completely separate? separate? So we'll never fully know if they were correlated or not. There's not enough research on myasthenia gravis to exactly know how it can be triggered in somebody. Um, we think that brain surgery had something to do with it, but we'll never, we'll never actually have an answer for that. Yeah. You know, uh, what, what a story. Um, it's, it's interesting. And I'll ask you a question because, you know, you've had a near death experience, uh, a couple times in your short life. Do you think that you have to go through something like that to get to the the point where you are now or is that a can you figure that out by not going through something like that I think I think a person does need to experience a near death you know circumstance to come to a point where I am in my life and where I know a lot of people have been you just what you experience and the fear that you feel um it, it does change you, um, but then it's all about what you do with that. What's your purpose going to be behind that? And for me, I wanted to use my platform as a gopher athlete to share it with those that might be struggling and might not have as much posit- like positivity as I did right. um, and right. have as much faith as I did. And so when I got back to playing um, and when I cracked the lineup again, that was like – some of the most fun hockey I've ever played in my entire life, all because of the purpose behind it. It wasn't just for me. It wasn't just for accolades. It wasn't just for a national championship, but 
it was to honor my faith and my gratitude to have a second chance at playing this game. Um, and it was also for all the people that A, doubted me, um, or B, might be in a similar circumstance as me that might not think that they could do it themselves. I wanted to show them, if I can do it, you can too. You just got to put that work in and you got to believe and know that you have a strength inside of you. Everybody has a strength inside them that they have no idea exists. But you just got to break through that glass ceiling and and be okay with facing fear in the face and just taking it head on. Great message in there, young lady. Um, thank you. I want to uh, just tell us how your gopher career ended up. What ended up there? Was it a positive note? It was amazing. So, like I mentioned, uh, my junior year, I ended up coming back for the second half. So, I was able to prove Frosty wrong there. Um, so I, you know, made it back onto the bench for a game, started on fourth line, made it onto third line, made it up to second line, made it back onto the penalty kill and power play. Um, and then by the end of it with where our season had been going, we were in our conference championship. And the only way that we were going to make the national tournament was if we won. And that's, we're in the tough, toughest league in the country. So the cherry on top of the whole story of my junior year was I actually got the game-winning goal against Wisconsin uh, to punch us a ticket to the national tournament. So nice. that was an unbelievable experience. And then my entire senior year, I played my full year, and I was just playing the best hockey that I had been playing my entire life. Um, the way I was seeing the ice um, from all the games that I had been watching to – my tactical skills on the ice because of all the work that I was putting in. Um, it was, it was such fun hockey and ended up ending my career in the national championship game against Wisconsin. Um, but it truly was some of the most unexpected four years of my life, but I wouldn't take it back for the world because it's helped mold me into the person that I am today. Well said, well said. Um, I haven't had anyone that I've interviewed, uh, that didn't have some challenges. Your box was just wrapped in a brighter package or wrapping paper, you know, uh, <laughs> some people have, you know, some more difficult ones to get through, but, uh, con not congratulations. Just, uh, you know, you're, you're an inspiration. Uh, glad you're still here with us because, uh, you, I know, are not just thinking about you. It's all about others and you're passing on, trying to make everyone else's experiences a little better because of what you went through. So thank you for that. Um, I want to go, You, I know you a little more than most. You operate at a high level, not only on the ice when you were a player, but uh, in the classroom as well. When you left uh, college, yeah, you had a double major in business marketing and human resource development. Uh, what's occupying your time these days in corporate America? I am working as a mortgage loan officer for Tradition Mortgage. So a lot of you might know the name of Eric Hendrickson, who was a hockey and football guy um, growing up in Minnesota, Burnsville native. So Super fortunate to be a part of a company that 
83% of us have played hockey. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's a, it's a hockey community. Um, it's a hockey company that loves to give back to um, all hockey programs and people. So it's super fun because working there, um, they encourage and, and allow us to have the flexibility to coach as well. And so for the past three years, I was the head varsity coach at Wyzetta High School, um, which was, again, just another super rewarding experience and made it even more fun that my assistant coach happened to be my father. <laughs> nice. That would have been great. I mean, what a, what a time for you guys to be back together. That's awesome. It was super fun. You know, the blend of, of traditional, I will call it, traditional hockey with a little bit more of the the new tactical skills that I had learned and have been learning as a player. It was really fun to blend the two together because it really made a, a perfect potion for that group of kids and for that program. So your your grandpa, like you mentioned, he, he was a former golfer, did and I, I don't know if he won any national championships there. You can tell me, but he was the coach of the 68 and 72 U.S. Olympic hockey team. Um, did you lean on him for, for any coaching advice when you couldn't get it from your dad? Actually, I, I tried my best to uh, not ask too many questions because his advice usually was just make sure that the number of goals that you have is greater than the number of goals that they have. <laughs> Pretty easy. <laughs> and I, I think I think he did that though because he honestly loved watching me coach. Like he always loved watching me play, but he said that there's something about watching me behind a bench and seeing my competitiveness and my enthusiasm and and just the way that I coached that that group. He just loved it, um, and he did give me the title of being the most talented coach out of the Williamson. So I will definitely be wearing that proud at every family holiday. <laughs> <laughs> and just a little side note, he came out with a book called The Road to Respectability, uh, Murray Williamson's Role in USA Hockey. Uh, haven't read it yet, but I'm holding it in my hand right now, and it is on my list of books to read. But if anyone's interested in that, The Road to Respectability. One more question for you, Taylor, if you would be so kind. Uh, this you, I think you're going to be the longest interview I've had. I usually try to keep them just under an hour, but we're over now. And that's totally cool because everything has been awesome. Uh, I train, for those who don't know, I'm a stick handling, shooting, passing instructor, off-ice guy. I got a facility here at my house in Minnesota. And I, I actually train more girls now today than I do boys. That uh, And these girls that I train... They are highly motivated. They have lofty goals uh, and are looking to achieve where what you've already done. What are some things that you can tell them to be focusing on as they continue to climb this hockey ladder? Because you have a little different perspective than most. Yeah, it's a, such a good question. Um, I think the biggest piece of advice that I would give to any athlete coming up through the ranks is finding the 1% the way you can get 1% better every day. I brought it up before, but I want to just mention it again. Cause to me, that's the, that's the ticket. And it's not even just about 1% with hockey, but it's 1% with life. 
Um, there's so many facets of, of the game that are replicated and influenced by how you live your life outside of the rink. And so to be the best player you, you want to be, you have to be the best person as well and understand that to get to your goals, it takes sacrifice and it takes hard work. And, you know, it really comes from within. If you enjoy that grind and you enjoy the process of what could be a lot of failures to get to that success, it, it's, a, it's a long game. It's a long road to where you want to be. But if you focus on the day-to-day and what you can accomplish in that moment, that's what's going to help catapult you to that goal of whatever that might be, whether it's college hockey, the NHL, the Olympic team and so forth. Um, it's crazy. Cause then you're going to look back one day and say, wow, look at all those 1% and how they added up. So that would be my, my biggest message to them. The compound effect. So awesome. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Olympics. Yeah. If, if the Olympics were meant for everyone, everyone would be in the Olympics, but they're not. <laughs> it's less than 1%. And the reason is, is because it's hard. And you, you have to have that, that passion, that uh, dedication, that guidance, uh, and that pursuit and that consistent, uh, like you said, every day, you're putting a little time in to moving the needle closer to, to where you want to get to that objective. Taylor, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Most people don't know this is our third take at this. We've had some technical difficulties, but I have to say, I think this is our best uh, version, don't you? I would agree. <laughs> so uh, congratulations on and just a blessed career. Uh, you, you were throwing some cards that not many people would want to play, but you played your hand and with uh, a team of people around you, you that rallied around you, uh, just fed into your your heart and determination and just want to not leave this planet. Uh, and you're an inspiration to everyone. So thank you, Taylor. Congratulations. Um, you are a great story. Thanks for having me again, Lance. I appreciate it. Good. Well, uh, I, I am going to end this by saying that Taylor has been uh, now appointed uh, our first employee of online hockey training. Uh, she's got a marketing degree and we need help in marketing. So we're going to get her involved in that. So stay tuned. And then uh, she's on her quest to uh, start doing some lessons maybe with players once in a while as well. This is just a part-time deal. She has a passion for hockey, not into coaching. Uh, and we'll see where it takes us. But uh, all you young ladies out there, if you're looking for someone to model or learn a few things from, this is your girl. Thanks again, Taylor. Thanks, Lance. Well, that concludes another episode of the Hockey Journey Podcast. How solid was that conversation? I can't thank you enough for stopping by and listening. I hope you enjoyed the interview, and if you think there's someone in your circle of family and friends that might like this episode as well, please share it with just one person. It will really help me in growing this hockey community. Again, I appreciate you being here. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, or submit a review. I hope to see you back here soon, and do me a favor, make someone close to you smile today. All the best, my friends.